Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, Tom will bring us up to speed on the tragic crash of a China Eastern Boeing 737 this week, while I review a surprise order from Air Canada. I'll look at Lufthansa's quadjet operations while Joe explains the drama over the world's biggest aircraft. Finally, Tom will recap on our latest webinar. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I mean, I really have to start with the big story of the week, which is um, always a sad one when we have them, but you know, you can't ignore them. And that was that a China Eastern Boeing 737 crashed in Southeast China on Monday. So the aircraft was operating flight MU5735 from Kunming, which has the code KMG to Guangzhou, C-A-M. Um, and it was a domestic flight operated by a 737-800. And it's, it's, I think it's very clear from the, um, very important from the get-go to mention that this was not a max and, um, you know, there shouldn't, you shouldn't jump to draw parallels between what happened with the max. Um, so it's very different situation. Yeah, yeah. Situation. So, um, you know, the plane, we, we still don't know what's happening. It's not our place to kind of say what, what we think happened, we uh, you know we can say what we can see has happened. Um, it appears that the aircraft just suddenly, incredibly rapidly descended into a mountainous region of China. Uh, you know, flightradar.24.com was tracking the flight when it crashed, um, and it sort of suggested that it was cruising around twenty nine thousand feet when it, the event started, and then. Um, it basically lost that entire height within the space of around two minutes, if that, mm, um, which is incredible. You know, from um, in the space of 77 seconds alone, it lost two, uh, 20,000 feet of altitude. Wow. You know, that's crazy. Um, there were 132 people on board. This comprised of 123 passengers and nine crew members. And the Chinese uh, Civil Aviation Administration um, commented that they were um, dispatching a working group to the scene of emergency services and the like. Um, unfortunately, it seems like there's no survivors. Um, kind of what you expect when you kind of see all of the data that we have so far. Um, it's questionable about, um, I mean, obviously, black boxes are designed to um, withstand some pretty severe stuff, but um, whether they could withstand exactly that, who knows. Um, the plane itself uh, was a 6.8-year-old Boeing 737-800. It was owned by CES Leasing and operated by China Eastern Airlines. They ordered the jet on March 22, 2012. It first flew on June 5, 2015, and it was delivered less than a month later. And it's been um, with China Eastern ever since delivery. So, you know, that's kind of um, what happened. Um, now, mm. you know, we can um, come up with our theories of what might happen. I mean, I've certainly got mine, but I, like I say, you know, it's, this isn't the place to share it because, mm. you know, I'm not an expert on what might have happened and I don't have the full data like the flight crew, um, the investigators would have. So mm. now we just have to kind of sit tight and wait for the investigators to um, to do ascertain what happened, do their yeah. thing. And um, then hopefully we will find out what happened um, so something yeah. like this can be avoided ever again. 
Well, it's interesting. You mentioned the black box. I did see a tweet earlier on today from um, Jamie Freed, who is quite a well-known mm. aviation reporter in that region. Um, she says that they have found it, so it remains to oh, be seen good. what data they can retrieve from that. Um, but what I thought was interesting was that in the hours after the incident, accident, I don't know what you're supposed to call these things, um, the the airline actually grounded its fleet of 737-800s. Mm. Um, now, you know, this is one of the safest planes in the world, actually. There's, there's more than 7,000 have been delivered and just 11 fatal accidents have been recorded with the type. Um, you know, it wasn't an old plane, but obviously they are concerned um, enough to take all of their 737 seven eight hundreds offline for a little while they didn't do it mm. straight away so they obviously weren't that concerned they kind of flew them back to the, their bases on monday and then grounded them from tuesday mm. um and since then india has also put the seven three seven eight hundred under increased scrutiny but this doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination yeah. that there's a problem with the type it's just yeah. i think it's I just mean, a precaution more than anything else tomorrow and i will still happily jump on board it you know i've exactly i think an awful lot of people are going to be flying on one this week because it's yeah. you know one of the most widely used narrow bodies in the world so yeah i mean just um, look at ryanair's fleet you know they're getting some maxes now but if you're flying ryanair the chances are you're flying on one of these you're aircraft on an 800 and, exactly um, yeah you know it, it it is always scary when a plane crashes but you have to think um how many of these are flying each and every day all the times uh, it didn't incident. crash. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm interested to find out what the cause was because it was dramatic and terrifying. Mm. Um, you know, there were some awful videos during the rounds on social media. But uh, like Tom said, it's not our place to speculate and we will wait and see what happens when the report mm. comes out. Mm. So, um, on to some less uh, gruesome yeah, something news. something a bit more cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, just within the last couple of days, Air Canada has um, gone for its order that it was rumoured to be kind of thinking about. Mm. Um, so, there, there were rumours floating around that the airline was looking at the A321 family, the NEO family, mm. um, for sort of longer range narrowbody flights. Um, the airline cancelled a few of its um, 737 MAX commitments a couple of years back um, while the type was still grounded. Um, and at the time, you know, they didn't say it was because the type was grounded. They just wanted more flexibility to explore other aircraft models. Um, so for a, about a month now, there's been rumours that they were talking to leases about the A321LR. Well, this week they revealed what their order was. Um, and it's actually for the XLR. So I was really excited. I'm a huge fan of this long range aircraft. Um, and they are taking 20 from leasing firms and another six are being purchased outright from Airbus. Um, so Air Canada, you know, they've managed to jump the queue because they've gone with those leases that already placed orders probably back as long ago as the Paris Air Show in 2019 yeah. when Airbus first announced the aircraft. Um, and they're going to start getting deliveries in 2024, which is just about when Airbus is planning to launch the aircraft um, or enter it into service, should we say. Um, and the whole fleet of 26 will be arriving by early 2027. Um, so 15 of the planes are coming from Air Lease Corporation, five from AirCap. Um, and Air Canada also has the rights to purchase an additional 14 of the type between 2027 20, and 2030. Um, so, you know, 
personally, I think it's a great choice for Air Canada. Mm. I think anyone who goes with the XLR is making a good choice. Um, but, you know, it has been an incredibly popular plane right back when we were at the Paris Air Show, Tom, and, remember, and they officially yeah. announced it. It was literally the star of the show all, yeah. all week that week. Um, there were 243 I mean, commitments for the type just at the show alone. And, you know, to be fair, some of those were conversions, like people upgrading mm. from the LR to the XLR. Um, but 152 were brand new orders. And that's incredible in just a week. Go yeah, on. I'm pretty sure that Airbus sold um, more XLRs than um, the air show sold coffees. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> there were long queues for those coffees as well. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's kind of the perfect post-pandemic plane, I think. Um, you know, we, we've talked about how good the A220 is as a post-pandemic mm. plane. In its niche, it is, absolutely. But I think the XLR has its own little niche, which enables airlines to fly long, long routes that are weak yeah. on demand, you know, where you can't really justify putting a wide body on that route. Mm. Um, but, you know, for Air Canada, they're saying that they can reach all of their destinations in North America and a lot of their transatlantic destinations. I mean, um, they're the already XLR. flying the MAX across the um, the Atlantic. So if you think of the, the potential of the XLR, mm. you know, you could maybe go from Canada to Spain or so. Or yeah, probably even further. Germany. I mean, it's, you know, it's I would love to see the A321s coming in here. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Mm. Um, so I think it's going to be really, you know, an interesting one to see how they deploy it. And it's even more exciting that they don't have to wait so long. You know, 2024 yeah. is really just around the corner now. Um, mm. So it's not like some of these orders where they're talking about 2030 and you think, God, you know, I might be retired by then if I'm lucky. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and Air Canada also pointed out it's incredible fuel efficiency. You know, it's got great economics, that plane. Um, and of course, Air Canada is looking to go completely carbon neutral by 2050. So they reckon the XLR will give them a 17% lower fuel burn than their narrowbody aircraft at present and up to 23% lower fuel burn on a transatlantic hop compared to using a wide body. Um, mm. Now, the obvious swap in would be to put the A321 XLR to replace some of the COs, the A320 family COs that are in the fleet. But actually, no. like the MAX is kind of filling that niche. My money is on the retiring some of those A330s that are getting a bit mm. older um, and using the A321 XLR for those routes. But we will see. In 2024, mm. we'll find out. So we'll have to pose the question to James. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about something a little bit bigger than okay. <laughs> the A321 family. Um, if I told, if I said quad jets to you, um, who would you think? Because obviously the pandemic has really killed off the quad jet. Um, mm. Who would you say the largest operator of quad jets is today? Um, probably Emirates. It is. It is Emirates <laughs> with the giant A380 fleet. But Lufthansa actually isn't quite far behind. Um, oh. And I did some analysis um, this week um, to kind of find out this uh, Put, put it all into um, perspective. So Lufthansa has um, a little over 1,700 quad jet flights scheduled in April 2022. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this actually only equates for around 5% of their entire schedule, but um, it makes them the second largest quad jet operator. Emirates kind of wow. edges ahead with 55% um, more flights planned, and that's just with the A380, which I think of course, is incredible yeah. in itself. Um, <laughs> and just behind Lufthansa is China Airlines, who has fewer than 500 flights planned. So you can see there's quite a gap between first, second and third. Mm. Um, interestingly, though, you know, um, it's 
well, like I said, you know, Emirates is just solely with the A380, but Lufthansa has actually got four different quad jets in operation now. Mm. Um, sadly, they've not got the A380 in operation, but, uh, you know, the leader, according to the statistics, is the 7, 747-8. So, you know, according to CH Aviation, they've got 19 of these aircraft with an average age of just 8.4 years. So they're not going anywhere soon, you'd hope. Mm. Um 45% of all of Lufthansa's quadjet flights in April will be operated by this, um, the youngest iteration of the jumbo jet family. Interestingly, you know, um, the 747-8 is flying exclusively from Frankfurt, so no Munich flights. And they're um, really flying everywhere, Buenos Aires, San Francisco. Uh, there is even one flight to uh, Palma de Mallorca next mm. month because um, we love our short-haul <laughs> short jet flights here. Yeah, um, amazing. <laughs> So the next in uh, the next biggest one is the A340-300, and this is something that's been, I don't know if it was flying in April 2020, but it came back fairly quickly, if it wasn't. Um, that's penciled in to operate around 31.5% of Lufthansa's quadjet schedule across April. Um, they've got 17 of these in the fleet. The average, um, sorry, there's 13 listed as active, and they've got an average age of 22.5 years old. So, mm. you know, that kind of suggests that they're going to begin looking at retirement opportunities for this fleet before too long. Um, you know, I would say 25 is kind of a good age for um, aircraft retirement from airlines. I know uh, Lufthansa, um, British Airways kind of pushed it more towards 30 with the 747s if, um, off the top of my head. Um, A340-300, again, is only going to be flying from Frankfurt. It's down to go from every to everywhere, from Abuya to San Jose. So, mm. um that's fun. As we know, um, late last year, Lufthansa also brought the 747-400 back. Um, they've now got a fleet of 30, or sorry, they started the pandemic with 13 of these. They've got five retired, so they've got eight left. Um, seven of these are currently active and, you know, they're going to stay around until the um, 777-X gets delivered. So uh, we don't have a firm retirement date yet. Mm. Um, but, you know, like the other two quad jets, um, it's only going to fly from Frankfurt. Um Flights are scheduled to eight destinations, and around half of these are going to see a daily service with the jumbo jet, the older jumbo jet. So this represents about 19.2% of the April quad jet schedule. Mm -hmm. So that leaves just around 5%, I believe. What could that be? Well, I think um, on the podcast a week or two back, we talked about Lufthansa bringing the A340-600 back. Mm. Um, so, you know, they're bringing five of these back to the skies this summer. Um, only one of them is kind of scheduled for the immediate future. So right now it's operating a daily flight from Frankfurt to Washington. But from March 27th onwards, it's going to move across to the Munich base and it's going to run a daily service to Boston, which will mm. continue throughout April. So... Um, it's interesting because, you know, 5% of the operation for Lufthansa in April is quad jets. That's cool. And most of that is in Frankfurt. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. You get to yeah. go and eyeball them all when you uh, go plane spotting at the weekend. Yeah, I might have to do that work yeah, on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not doing it in the week. You work too hard. <laughs> <laughs> so I reckon they must be the most diverse quad jet yeah. operator in the world right now you know they're, they're maybe not the biggest because emirates is always going to take yeah. that crown but they must have the most variety i mean yeah i mean they're becoming a bit of a flying museum i think yeah they yeah. are <laughs> get carsten on the phone <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, long may it continue. I mean, I, I yeah. know that they're not the best for the environment or for the airline's well, pockets, but obviously Lufthansa thinks they work well because... Yeah, there's obviously a business case for them. Um, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, like... As I said, all of a lot of them are getting older, but the 747-8 with an average age of eight years, they're, they're not, not going, going anywhere. anywhere fast. No, no, exactly. If, you know, like even if we had a sort of another huge situation like coronavirus, which I don't think we will. I hope no. we won't. But no. you know, like so I kind of said, <laughs> we've said that so many times. Like oh, it's going to be gone next week, and uh, <laughs> we really shouldn't talk like that now. But you know, I feel like even if that was the case, they'd still stick stick around with them. Mm, yeah, well, one one plane that's not sticking around, as we all know, sadly, is the Antonov AN two two five. So we talked about this a few weeks back um, that the plane had absolutely, definitely been destroyed at Hostomel yeah. Airport. Um, there was a Russian attack on the airport, and uh, various reports were coming out saying that had it been destroyed, had it not been destroyed, um, and then finally, about a week later, somebody actually sent a video. Um, that showed it was definitely absolutely destroyed and very unlikely to be able to put back together. Um, hmm. But this week, there's been a bit of a drama going on between a fairly well-known tell me more. pilot of the AN-225 and the Antonov company. Um, so if you're a fan of YouTube and the AN-225, you've probably heard of Dmitro Antonov, um, who is one of the pilots hmm. for the plane. And he tends to film a lot of stuff that you just can't see anywhere else. You know, there's lots of footage of, of him flying the plane and of the inside of the plane. And it's just really fun. Hmm. Um, he does speak Russian, so it's very difficult to understand what he's saying of course but sometimes you don't you know the pictures tell a story don't they and uh, the translated yeah. closed captions do a great job um, of filling in the gaps um, but he took to his channel on YouTube last earlier this week um, to blame the Antonov company for the destruction of the Maria um, mm. he said that they hadn't taken threats or, or warnings from the um, from from um, NATO, that there was a, an invasion coming. They hadn't taken them seriously enough. And he accused top management of shipping out to Leipzig in Germany long before the war started um, and just basically abandoning a lot of staff and crucially hmm. the AN-225. Um, but yesterday, um, I'm speaking now on Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, what is today, Tom? I hope it's Wednesday. Um, <laughs> it's hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> if you know, write to us and let us know. <laughs> so it was Tuesday, uh, another video came out on Major D Dimitro Antonov's channel, um, hmm. which carried on this story, but unusually it posted up a letter, um, an open letter from the Antonov company with an appeal in it. Um, now, the appeal can be read in full in all eight languages on his channel. Um, there's a link on Simple Flying if you really want to go and read the whole thing. There are some nuances. I would say they probably use Google Translate to shift it into the eight languages because not all mm. of it comes across beautifully, but you get the gist. Yeah. Um, so for a start, they confirmed what everybody was saying, that as a result of Russia's hostile actions, the airfield complex in Hostomel was destroyed. Um, the AN-26, AN-74 aircraft were destroyed, as well as the flagship of the aviation fleet, the AN-225. Um, but they said that um, before the war broke out, in fact, 
all night of the evening before, workers of the Antonov company were working really hard and frantically to install the sixth engine on the AN225. This suggests Mm. maybe an engine had died or, you know, that they needed a replacement, but they'd got it all sorted and the plan was to fly the AN225 out of the airport on the morning of February the 24th to Leipzig in Germany for safety. Mm. Um, In fact, at 23.51 that evening, one of the AN124s, it was the fifth to leave Hostomel Airport, left from the airfield. Sadly, that would be the last flight ever to leave from that airfield. Um, Because on the morning of the 24th, as we all know now, Russia invaded, the airspace was closed, and basically all the options of flying the AN-225 out of the airport were blocked. Um, The letter even insinuates that some employees of the Antonov company were killed that day. Um, Obviously, we don't know for sure, but, um, you know, you can read it, as I say. Um, But then... The letter turns its attention to Major Antonov himself. And it says, and now it turns out that Dmitry Antonov, the one who all this busy time is sitting at home, lifting not a word or finger without hitting on the survival of the company, he rides in on a white horse to people with a face of anger and says that we didn't do enough. We return that question with what did you do to present, prevent such a situation? Mm. Um, so the message we're getting here is that, you know, they are not happy at all with what Mr. Antonov, who I must say is no relation to the Antonov company. It's just obviously a fairly common name in that part of the world. Um, they are not happy with what he's saying on his YouTube channel and the accusations that he's throwing around about the company not doing enough to save the AN225. Um, It Mm. goes further to accuse the man of slandering the whole team, calling him a false knight in shining armour, working from the comfort of his couch at home. Um, They accuse him of profiteering on the internet from the despair of the Antonov team. Um, And they deny that the management team has been in Leipzig. They say that since the war broke out, Director General of the Antonov company, Sergei Bitchov, and his deputies have been on the ground working around the clock at the Antonov company. Now, of course... We don't know what's true and what's not. But what I thought was kind of odd was why would Dimitro post this on his own YouTube channel, um, Mm. you know, when it's basically saying that everything he said is a lie? Well, um, the reason for that is that he wants to defend his position. Um, So he says that um, it feels... (laughs) This is word for word. I'm I'm not making this up. He says, this letter feels like it was written by a first grader. Zero intelligence, zero logic. The content of the information provided, nobody checked. I have more reliable information and a lot more information from third third parties. So, you know, at this point, as you will understand, the Antonov company is not available to give a right to reply or to kind of comment on anything. Um, mm. They are super busy dealing with all the tragedy that's going on in Ukraine right now. Um, but, you know, it's just crazy that in the midst of all this, there's this real kind of drama yeah. going on. It's like a soap opera. Um, so whether there'll be any more developments on this, I don't know. Um, but I do, you know, you guys have to make your own mind up how you feel about it. Me personally, Personally, I do think it wasn't very tactful of Major Antonov mm. to um, accuse the company of not doing enough to save the AN-225. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's a plane. I'm sure they were more concerned about saving lives. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I fully agree with that. Um, 
I guess on a slightly more, we're kind of going up and down in terms of our um, positivity today. Um, I hope we can finish on a positive note, Tom. Yeah, well, I, I guess it's positive. I had the lovely chance to speak to um, Peter Foster, who's the CEO of Aristana, as part of our latest webinar. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you can watch it back on YouTube Live. Or we've also actually um, published a sort of script of what was said. Um, so that's also a nice way to kind of find out what happened. Um, For those who prefer to read than watch. Yeah. I certainly yeah. do. I'm not a big YouTube fan. I'd much rather read a story. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've not done it before, but I think it looks really nice. You know, yeah. it's just all laid out perfectly. And I have so, to um, say, Tom, you did an awesome job on the webinar. It's your first aw. time and I will be definitely putting you back in the hot seat because you did a great mm. job with Mr. Foster. Well, I try. I try. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it was interesting, though, because, you know, like sticking with the whole Russia thing, um, I kind of asked why... Um, why Aristana pulled out of Russia. Um, Peter sort of said that basically um, they lost their insurance cover for the entire fleet because, um, you know, all the insurers and reinsurers are based in um, sort of countries that sanction Russia. Um, so uh, part of the sanctions have been like um, voiding um, insurance cover essentially for aircraft that are flying into um, into Russia. What was interesting, though, was because they're still flying their routes that would have gone through Russia, but they've just taken a detour. So I asked, is this sustainable? Because, you know, the longer you're in the air, the more money you're spending on fuel, the less profits you're making. Mm. So um, Peter told me it's about an extra hour and a half of flying that they're using um, on this southern route. Um, but he said it is sustainable. It's obviously more expensive because the. Um, but he said the ticket prices are probably going to go up to reflect that. Um, you know, he said only one route actually has seen like an operational impact, and that's the route from London, which is having to do a stop uh, back in Actel um, so that they can refuel, and um, obviously that's not ideal for passengers and crew, but um, it's, I guess, more ideal for passengers than not being able to fly at all. Mm. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it, it was just um, very interesting. The other sort of interesting thing that I thought he said was about how he he was personally involved in the repatriation in Ukraine at the start of the um, thing. So he, you know, Aristana had it on the cards to repatriate people from Ukraine for quite a while. And for one reason or another, it got pushed back um, from maybe mid-January. So Peter actually flew out um, himself with the head of ground services. Um, they flew out on the day, on the night of the 23rd. So as you were saying, the invasion started on the 24th. Um, so they flew in on the last commercial flight that Aristana was able to operate. And mm. um, the aircraft took off at 2.10 in the morning. And I think that was maybe about 20 minutes before the airspace closed. Mm. Um, so quite lucky there for it being able to get out. He said he was woken up at 5.07 in the morning by cruise missiles landing nearby. Um, wow. And they'd had like three plans for how they were going to get people out of Ukraine. So um, plan A was to fly out of Kiev itself. Plan B was to repatriate out of Lviv in the West. And plan mm -hmm. C was to go from Katowice in Poland. And, you know, they had to go straight to plan C because the Ukraine airspace being closed meant A and B were not viable. Um, so they worked with the Kazakhstan embassy in Kiev and... They ended up on Saturday after the invasion, um, a convoy of 15 cars and two buses driving from Ukraine to Poland and then uh, transferring onto an Aristana, Aristana flight that then flew around back home. So, um, you know, I thought that was a really interesting um, 
thing to talk about i mean there's so much i could be talking all day about what we spoke about so um i'd say if you're interested to hear more certainly watch our youtube um video or read our um our piece on this mm, absolutely as i say you did a great job tom i really Thank enjoyed you. it and uh, i can't <laughs> wait till your next one um mm. And of course, you know, if you guys have somebody that you think would be great for a webinar, please do let us know. Um, we're always on the lookout for interesting mm. airline CEOs to chat to. Um, but I think that's about all we've got time for on the podcast today. Um, we do hope you enjoyed it and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.